written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you that we have this privilege and this opportunity to be here tonight. And I pray that you would teach us, you would instruct us in your word, you would encourage us, Father, you would show us any areas in our lives that the Spirit of God might touch and bring correction and change to us, Lord, for our desire is as your desire, that we would be more closely conformed into the image of your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. And welcome. We are beginning a, it's not a new book, I mean, it's been here since the Bible is written, but new to us at, at Living Water here, we're starting Second Kings this evening, and we're going to only get as far as the first couple of verses, um, because we're going to also jump into Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, but let's, let's start here. Tonight's uh, message is entitled, Blessings Promised for Obedience. And, and you know, this is a, a common thread throughout the scriptures, that as we obey God, blessings abound to us. But tonight, as we begin 1 Kings, understand that 1 and 2 Kings were originally one book in the Hebrew text. And with 2 Kings, it continues along the history of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. What began in 1 Kings, it ends in, with the Assyrian captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C., and it's for this reason. It was willful disobedience and rebellion against God's word. See, rebellion against God is never prosperous. Never. There's a consequence associated with it. It also records the Babylonian captivity of the southern kingdom of Judah for the exact same reasons. And certainly, you know, as we read these books, we recognize that they are historical books, but it's more than just history. It's history with a message as God desires to communicate with his people and also certainly to us throughout the ages as we realize the theme of this book gives us an inside look at the, of the great revelation of willful disobedience against God's work and the end of rebellion. And rebellion will come to an end, but not in our lifetime, doesn't seem. Unless the Lord would take us home or he raptures the church during our lifetime. Then there still will be rebellion on the earth. But God will put an end to that too in a second coming. Proverbs 29, verse 1, it says, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. And this is what we find in First and Second Kings. But by the time we finish Second Kings, and I don't know when that's going to be. You know, we were in First Kings, I think I, I looked it up for two and a half years. Um, so whenever that time is, you know, we look at it and we, we wonder how many ways can God speak to these two kingdoms to rebuke them and try to bring them to obedience in his word. I mean, constantly, over and over and over again, you know, God would send those to speak truth. God would speak truth through his word. He gave us the commandments. He gave them the commandments, yet they continued to rebel. 
We just read in Proverbs 29, he that is often reproved and hardens his neck in response to God's reproving. You know, uh, we rebel against God, he reproves us, and then, of course, sometimes the necks of the people get even harder yet. He said, he'll be suddenly destroyed and without remedy. The point is this. God's warnings, they're never to be ignored by God's people. Because God doesn't speak simply for the sake of speaking. He speaks truth to us. What he speaks to us is for our good. For Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable. It's good for us, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God speaks because he is, he's always communicating something that's very important. And we can look at this and ask the question about the judgment over Israel and Judah and ask this question, does the warning apply to us as Christians that are in disobedience and rebellion? Well, the answer would have to be yes, but in a different way. Willful disobedience and rebellion against God's commands leads to bondage, leads to captivity, that's no less than Assyrian captivity or the Babylonian captivity back then, but it's a captivity to sin. It's a snare. It's a trap. Romans 6.16 6, tells us this. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of, obe diso excuse me, or of obedience leading to righteousness? In Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. However, in rebellion, we become slaves to sin. But what Jesus said through Romans 6, 6 is it doesn't have to be that way. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You see, sin is a cruel master, ruthless, offers no way out other than when we choose to make a way out through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great commentator, Warren Wiersbe, shared this. He said, the body is not sinful, the body is neutral. It can be controlled either by sin or by God, but man's fallen nature, which is not changed at conversion, we still have a fallen nature, we have a tendency to sin, but man's fallen nature, which is not changed at conversion, gives us a beachhead from which it can attack and then control. Paul expressed the problem. In Romans 7, 18, he said this, For I know that in me, and when he says in me, he's talking about in his flesh, dwells no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. That's the struggle he was talking about with the sin nature. So willful disobedience leads to captivity to sin. You don't need Syrians, you don't need Babylonians to take us captive because when we sin, we will, excuse me, willingly surrender to sin. However, I'm so thankful it doesn't end there. Because God has given us a way to break free from bondage, and that is through admission, admitting to God, yeah, I, I messed up. I've sinned. 
And then, of course, making confession before the Lord and repenting from it and an understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all my sin. Past, present, and future. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. One of the things that's a little disheartening for me as, as a Christian, perhaps to you too, is the world around us in many ways has no shame over sin. And it's getting worse. In fact, the opposite is true. Sin is flaunted. It's promoted. It's congratulated. And it's all around us. And the thing that's heartbreaking about it is in the promotion of sin, the culture almost never shares the real consequences of sin. You'll never hear, if, if you do this, then this is going to happen. This is the kind of life that it leads to. This will shorten your life expectancy, and on and on and on. You just won't hear that. But you know, I, I praise God for organizations like Caring Choices. They educate the women that are considering abortion. And part of that education is, includes the lifetime of pain that abortion produces. I think about the advertising world now, namely uh, sports betting, legalized sports betting, which is all over now. It prevails. Giving away free money just, just to try it, knowing that people will get hooked. Then, of course, in their ads in the very small print at the bottom of the TV screen, if you need any help from gambling addiction, call this number. Right? Oh, I'm covering my bases here. But no, those are in small letters. It's to spend five bucks, you get 150 free bets, right? It's a hook. Another example. President Biden and Kamala, Vice President Kamala Harris had a pro-abortion rally yesterday. And their goal was to make abortion rights a key element of their campaign. Kamala Harris had these words, you don't have to abandon religious beliefs to stand against the government trying to tell women what they can and cannot do with their own bodies. The issue is the government. The government is not the issue. The issue is breaking the law of God. And of course, they didn't share the price that's paid for the, the quote-unquote freedom to abort babies. And again, praising God for organizations like Caring Choices, they educate the women that are considering abortion. And part of that education includes the lifetime of pain that it produces in them. Most people don't hear that. I'm so grateful that God is a forgiving God. I am so grateful. You know, there's no sin that's too great for the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse. No sin so great that God can't and won't forgive it. And you know, when you think about not just that sin, any, any sin, you know, it's very, very true that sin is pleasurable, but only for a season. And when we look at that, the season is very, very short as bondage and captivity take over. 
The Bible is so faithful to record for us the end result of ungodly decision-making so that we can see the full picture and learn and, and see what these historical books of the Bible do for us. And it seems almost amazing as we, we make our way through this book and, and then to the major prophets, the minor prophets, the children of Israel, once a very godly people regarding their privilege, privileged people by God, Jeremiah 19 says they end up eating their babies. It's crushing. Their disobedience that they engaged in worshiping other gods joining together with pagan nations, dabbling in witchcraft and sorcery, dabbling in the, world's, in, in the world's ways. Before the whole progression is done, the women eat their babies in order to stay alive. That's, that's horrendous. And you know, the family, if we think any of these things have any kind of bearing on us, all you have, if we think they don't have any bearing on us, then all you have to do is look around and see what's taking place in America. Families sacrificing children's best in the name of money. Babies in the womb considering, considered something less than life. Well, it's important to, to remember as we finish 1 Kings, we are going to get into 2 Kings a little bit tonight. But it's important to remember as we finish 1 Kings, we pick up with King Ahaziah. He was a wicked son of the most wicked king up to this point in the nation of Israel's history. And that was King Ahab. And we know we learned about his wicked wife Jezebel. And sadly, Ahaziah learned from his parents and they became his role model and led, them to, led the nation to disaster. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 1 of 2 Kings. It says, Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Moab was a, like a substrate of Israel, a substate of Israel under Israel's control. And Moab would, would pay Israel to be under their authority and protection. But upon the death of King Ahab, Moab thought, well, the time's ripe for us to revolt against Israel, and perhaps they saw a weakness in Ahaziah. This is a very common thing in the Old Testament in the days of the kings. A king would die, then someone would come and try to find a weakness and take over. So Moab was trying to exercise independence, and verse 2 says this, and Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria. In those days, they didn't have windows like we have. They had wooden, a wooden lattice grid that would allow certain amounts of light into the structure, provided airflow. It's hot in the Middle East and certainly some privacy. And all, although they were very functional, they weren't very strong, not able to support the weight of a person. So Ahaziah may have leaned upon this lattice, fell through it and onto the ground from a couple of stories up. And he knew his injury was life-threatening. And he knew his life was uncertain. So verse 2 tells us he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease or this illness, this injury. I mean, all God wanted were his people to worship him. He wanted the kings to worship him and to lead his people in righteousness. 
But as we talked about a few weeks ago, the northern kingdom had zero good kings. The southern kingdom had eight, I believe, if I remember correctly. But nonetheless, these messengers, they were sent to Ekron. And Ekron was the center of Baal worship. He said, go and ask this Baalzebub, this false god, and ask him if I'm going to recover. Certainly his condition is very grave, but his spiritual condition is even worse. Rather than turning to the God of Israel for answers, he turns to Beelzebub. That name probably sounds familiar to you. It's, it's the Lord of the flies. Now that's some misguided worship, isn't it? Worshiping a fly? I hate flies. We kill them. They worshiped the God of the flies to protect them. He was designed to protect them from the flies and the diseases that they carry. Now, what, what kind of a small view of God is that? Worship a God that only protects them from flies? Choosing a false God rather than the God of Israel. And I would think they would recognize they need a little bit more help than that. And as you look at this in the worship of Beelzebub, worshiped in Akron, you have to ask a question. The city of Ekron, does it exist today? No. Only for a brief time in history. What this teaches us, it does make a difference who and what a nation worships. So many nations have dropped off the face of the earth because they were worshiping false gods. Psalm 33, verse 12 tells us this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So often we hear those in high places in our country say, God bless America. Like he owes us something. I've heard others turn it around and say, America, bless God. And we bless him through obedience. You know, we were called one nation under God. It's on our currency. They're talking about removing that again. In God we trust. That's on the currency. One nation under God, that's not on the currency. Both ought to sound very familiar. God bless America. As if we're entitled somehow to God's blessings. But let me share this. God's, God blesses obedience to individuals and to a nation. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 28. We're going to spend the rest of the study there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book in. In this chapter, we find Moses. He's giving kind of a pep talk to the children of Israel before they enter into the promised land. So let's listen in. Verse 1. It says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. What a great promise. A great promise. It's a promise of greatness above all nations. He said, If, if you hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord, Observe, not only observe, but do. That defines spiritual success. 
James said it said this way, James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. In other words, what we read, we need to act on. Sometimes we can have a tendency to read with, with no effect. And then what happens? No change. Verse 2, that says that all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of of the Lord thy God. Verse 1 promised above all other nations. And here, blessings will come on thee or applied to you, cascading from heaven if you hearken or attend to and incorporate the commands of God into our lives. All these blessings, verse 2 says. And look, what are they? Well, verse 3, the first blessing in location, in city or country, wherever you are. God said, don't worry where you are. Don't, don't complain about the city living, country living. I will bless you wherever you are through obedience. The second blessing in verse 4, God says he will bless family. Fruit of thy body, children, grandchildren. He said you'll have a blessed family if you obey the commands. Third blessing in that same verse, fruit of an increase in cattle and flocks. Speaking of an occupation, they're an agrarian culture. They were herdsmen as well. Livestock raising society. God says, I will bless your profession, whatever it is. It'll be fruitful and blessed. The fourth blessing we find in verse 5, blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. He said, you're going to have enough to eat. And then some. You'll have some left over. God will supply our every need, even more than a need. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory, the Bible tells us, by Christ Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, there's a fifth blessing in verse 6. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. And you're coming in, you're going out, your daily routine every day, wherever you go, your routine won't be boring but blessed. Not dreadful but delightful. Not burdensome but beautiful if we obey the commands of the Lord. Your every day will be blessed. Almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But that's not all. There's a sixth blessing in verse 7. It says, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. So we've seen blessings in location, family, profession. Cupboards are full, routine. Now here, victory over enemies within or without Scatter as a, as a frightened herd. You know, Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? See, God is on our side. He just wants us to walk with him. Isaiah 59.19, When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. These are great promises. We find another in verse 8, the seventh blessing. 
The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord God giveth thee. God says, keep my commands, hearken diligent. I'm going to care for your future. Here, of course, and yes, for eternity. You follow me, I'm going to take care of you. These are amazing promises to the children of God. But that's not all. Verse 9. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself, as he hath sworn unto thee, if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. This is blessing eight. He's talking about stability and intimacy with God. Establish thee a holy people unto himself. There will be a spiritual stability and intimacy as we follow the ways of the Lord. A stable walk. Not an up and down kind of walk, a stable walk, an immovable walk, rooted and grounded in the faith. Stay close to Jesus, and your feet will be on solid ground. When we read this, you know, and as I read these things, I can't help but be in awe of God's promises. We, we want to see blessings of location, where we live, with family, profession, our daily needs, daily routine. I want to be blessed with protection provision for the future, stability, intimacy with God. I believe all of that, and we want all of that. Who wouldn't want that? Well, Moses is encouraging the people in right living before the Lord. He says, blessings are going to come. I hope that encourages you too. You know, and we can hear things like this and say, yeah, we get all fired up. I, I want to obey. I'm going to obey. I'm going to hearken diligently to what the Lord shows me and, and then the next day we wake up and it seems that we've forgotten it. We mess up. We get distracted. We get discouraged. Things don't go the way we think they should go. We side slip. We slide. We look to the left. We look to the right. And then what? Well, we're not so fired up anymore. Why? Well, God says, hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord thy God. Observe and do all his commands. You might think, well, 9 out of 10 is close enough, isn't it? Well, if you watch the football game on Sunday, one guy out of 11 offsides in the football game is still offsides, isn't it? But it's only one. Whistle blows, plays dead. You know, James spoke of this, not football, but he said this in chapter 2, verse 10. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So 90% isn't good enough. And therefore, I'm an offender. Galatians 3, verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if we're living or trying to live under the law, we're cursed if we don't perform all the law. Moses said, if you want the blessings, obey them all. But that's a problem. I want to. I want to obey them all. But I can't. But the key thing is this. There is one who kept all of the law, outwardly and inwardly. 
He was examined by Pontius Pilate, and Pilate found no fault. And the Holy Spirit of God put a dream in his wife and said, He's just. Holy Spirit knows. The religious leaders, the religious elite, they fabricated lies. They knew he did no wrong. And we, you know who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, the spotless one. He became my sin, and I'm a lawbreaker, and I became a law keeper because of him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he that hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think can this possibly be real? Yeah. The Word of God tells us so. Is it fair? No and yes. No from our perspective, but God's yes. His love is so deep, so great, it's indiscernible. I can't fathom God's love for me in completeness. But I know it's there. He would say, my son took your place, and he kept all the law. You just need to trust in him. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 18 and 19, but as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him he said it was yea. Notice, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was not yea and nay, but all was yea or yes in him. The word they preached wasn't wishy-washy. It wasn't hot or cold. It was not here today, gone tomorrow. The word Jesus Christ is true without fail. 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God. All the promises of God. And we can say yay to that in Christ Jesus. You know, we just read some of them in Deuteronomy. But all of them are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled all the elements and requirements of the law. Matthew 5, 17, <clears throat> Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. And you could add to that for you. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. So if Jesus hearkened diligently to the voice of the Lord and observed the Dalai commandments, he gets all the blessings. They're all yea and yes and amen in him. But the good news is this. When you and I become Christians or became Christians, we believed that he is who he says he is, that he laid his life on a cross. We repented of our sin. We received forgiveness of sin. We trusted him. And we declared that he is my Lord and Savior. And then what happened? Well, at that moment, we were then positionally placed in Christ. In Christ in you. How did I get there? I responded yes to his invitation. When I say yes to Jesus, I am part of him. And then there's Christ in you and me, the hope of glory. Do I deserve that kind of blessing? No. 
I'm in him, he's in me, and therefore, through his obedience, his blessings become my blessings too. So what do we have? You know, if we are in Christ, it has to mean something to us. What does it mean if, if I am in Christ and he's in you? Well, I'm going to go through a whole bunch of verses here. I'll just give you the verse number and a brief description of what I'm talking about. You may want to write these down, and I'll try to go slowly. <clears throat> Romans 3, verse 24. It says, we are justified freely. Our Father in heaven looks at us through his Son, Jesus Christ, as if we've never sinned. The forgiveness so complete. So that's Romans 3, 24. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I'm not condemned. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 39. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. So the next time you mess up, you think he doesn't love me anymore. This verse says nothing can separate you from his love. Don't let the enemy tweak your mind. Trust in Jesus. Romans 16 verse 10 says we are approved in Christ, approved by God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. We are sanctified in Christ. Set apart for his use. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. We have wisdom, righteousness, and redemption. There's an awful lot that we have in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says we have hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, we are alive in Christ. Second Corinthians 1, 21, we are established in Christ. In other words, we're, we're firmly rooted and grounded in him. It was... 2 Corinthians 1.21. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says we are triumphant. We are victors. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we are new creations in Christ. We are new in Christ. New. Galatians 3.26, we are children of God. We are children of God by virtue of the new birth. Ephesians 1, verse 3. We're getting close to the end now. We have spiritual blessings, all spiritual blessings in high places. Ephesians 2, verse 6. We're seated together with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2, verse 10, you are his workmanship, 
And you know what? God does perfect work. Philippians 2 verse 1, we have consolation. He consoles us. Two more. Colossians 1.28, and this is so beautiful, we are perfected in Christ. I look at my life, and I'm far from perfect. But in Christ, I'm perfected. Philemon 1, verse 8. We can have boldness. That brazenness, boldness in Christ. I find this list incredible. And incredibly encouraging. But the question is, what did you what did you do? What did we do to receive all of this? Nothing. Except we said yes to Jesus. Because all of these promises we just read, all of them are yea and amen in Jesus. Every one of them. Now, one final encouragement for today. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1, notice that it says, if thou, if thou shalt, circle if thou and write because of Jesus. You see, I get the blessings because I'm in Christ. Apart from him, I can't do it. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We get blessed because of the word of one. And his name is Jesus. Romans 5.12 says, By one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all for all have sinned. And in Romans 5.15 says, but how much more the grace of God in the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. What a great God we serve. And I know we didn't get very far into Second Kings, but I'm not in a hurry. Maybe you needed a word of encouragement tonight. Hang on to these things. I'd suggest you read Deuteronomy 28 and just count up those blessings that God wants to pour into your life. And then maybe review the things that we talked about, the, the, the things that we, we have or we are in Christ. And every time I go over that, I get amazed because I don't deserve any of it. But God has given me so much. And maybe tonight, I don't know if, if everyone here knows Jesus or has come to Christ or, or who might be listening later, I don't know. But wouldn't it be a shame to forsake all these wonderful blessings and all these things, all these promises of God that are all yes and, yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be a terrible waste to forsake all of that and navigate this life, try to navigate this life on your own? I can't imagine that. These are, these are perilous times in which we live, aren't they? You know, Jackie and I talk about this all the time. We're, we're grateful for the time in which we were able to raise our family 
Because navigating these waters now is a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult. But God's grace still abounds. You know, his arms are still open wide. The invitations continue to go out. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And if you haven't come to Christ yet, then please just pray with me tonight and ask him. Ask him into your life and to be Lord of your life. You'll never be disappointed. I don't know of one single Christian I've ever met that has ever said, oh, I wish I had not received Christ into my life. And I will never find one. A true believer I'm talking about. I'm delighted in the work that God does. So pray with me, please. And Father, I come to you tonight, and Lord, I thank you for inviting me into your family. And I, I give a resounding yes. Yes, I need you and I want you. And the only thing I can give you right now is my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive me of all of it and give me a brand new heart. And I give that heart to you. I know that when you went to the cross, you did it for my blessing, my benefit, for my eternity and my salvation. You did it to save me. And I believe that when you bled and died and were buried, you rose again on the third day according to what your word tells me. So I place all of my trust in you. You are a faithful God. You've been faithful to me even when I wasn't faithful to you. I'm asking you into my life, into my heart, to be the Lord of my life and help me to turn from the things that I've once held so dearly that are really unimportant and help me turn to you. I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.